Welcome to Revealing Jesus with Christina Pereira. Are you hungry to hear more about our beautiful Savior Jesus? Well, the Bible declares that grace and peace are multiplied to us in the knowledge of Jesus. Join me for revelatory teaching, interviews with leaders in the body of Christ, and testimonies of God's goodness in your life. Thanks for joining the conversation to reveal more of Jesus to a hurting world today. Jesus said in Matthew 5, you even look at a woman to lust for her, you've already committed adultery in your heart. So he looked at the meditation of the heart the same as the action or the deed itself. And so you have these self-righteous people that will point their fingers at somebody else for the sin that they're living in, while the entire time they have a vain imagination in which they are engaging in the same activities in the heart. Mm -hmm. But before we get started, I want to give a quick shout out to our Christina Prayer Ministry sponsors who help support the mission to unite the body of Christ and fulfill the Great Commission with love. A big shout out to Gopher Ministries, who provides all of our equipment for our gospel events. Davis Financial Services, who does all of our financial accounting. Harvest Family Network, through which I am licensed and ordained. And Life Changing Productions, who helps put together evangelistic events to reach our city for Jesus. If you or your organization are interested in becoming a CPM sponsor, you can find out more information on our website at ChristinaPereira.org. Do you have a loved one special occasion coming up and don't know what to get them? Well, now you can sponsor an episode of Revealing Jesus in their name. And you can give them a special dedication message read on air. It makes a great gift. To find out more information, just go to christinaperreira.org slash podcast. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode of Revealing Jesus with Christina Pereira. I am your host, Christina, and I'm so excited to have you with me here today. I hope and I pray that you are doing well right where you are and enjoying the continuously flowing favor of grace pouring from our beautiful Savior and Father in heaven. I've got a great show for you today. I have an amazing leader in the body of Christ with me today. He is an associate evangelist with Global Awakening and co-founder of His Kingdom Reigns Ministries. I have with me here back on the podcast today, William Wood. William, thanks so much for being here today. Hey, Christine. It's, it's an honor to be back with you. Definitely looking forward to this conversation. Oh my goodness. Well, if you guys haven't been listening, you need to go back and listen to my first conversation with William. It was about his book, Every Day of Victory. And we discovered that we have a very similar passion and message from the Lord. And it's all about the difference between law versus grace. And oh my gosh, William, that conversation was so encouraging, even to my heart. I was like, you just have to come back and we're just going to have to lay it out for everybody. So thank you for that. Absolutely. Yeah. Like we chatted about last time after the, the podcast interview that we did with my book, it seemed like we had uh, just as good as a conversation after the fact. <laughs> we really did. I wish I would have recorded. We went for a whole 45 minutes and it was just like pouring out of both of us. And I was just like, you got to come back. This is amazing. Because this is such a tricky subject. 
You know, many people don't understand these things, but I'm so thankful that God is revealing more and more and more of who Jesus is and what he's done for us and the covenant he's now invited us into. And so it's such an important conversation. So can you share a little bit, maybe something personal with our listeners just to help get to know you a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. You know, my wife and I just, outside of a ministry context, we really love to go hiking and we live here in Enola, Pennsylvania. So we're pretty close to the Appalachian trails. And so we'd like to go on these trails, go hiking, just kind of get away from the world in a sense and just get along with each other, get along with the Lord and just be at a place of rest and peace. And there's something about getting out in nature that really you gain a greater appreciation for the creator. When you really get to see the beauty of his creation. Mm, that's absolutely true. I love that so much. I, I love nature. I love gardening. I love being in gardens. I try to create the garden all around me. <laughs> but I do love to get out because there's just something so amazing about being overwhelmed by his majesty. You know, the mountains, the oceans, the vastness of creation. It makes you feel so small in such a wonderful way. Yeah, it definitely does. And it, it just blows me away every time I get to travel because with my ministry, I travel, I don't know, 200 days or two, a little over 200 days a year. And so I get to go all over the world and just see different expressions of our creator's creativity and the way that he has designed this world and the different nations and the different countries and the mountains and the deserts and the oceans. It blows me away to see it. I bet. That is really amazing. I love that so much. Well, thank you so much for being here with me today. And I so appreciate it. You know, you actually mentioned that you have a teaching out on two different kinds of righteousness. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about that teaching? Yeah, well, when you go through throughout Scripture, particularly when you get to the book of Romans and you get in Galatians, you know, Paul begins to lay out this contrast of a law-based righteousness versus a grace-based righteousness. And a righteousness that is according to the law is based on works, but righteousness that is according to grace is based on faith. And so when the Lord really began to first speak to me about it, he was exposing in a sense that I had all, all mentality and that I was basing my relationship with God on my works and my performance. And so as long as I was performing well, I felt like our relationship was good. But the moment that I messed up, I felt that there was a fracture in the relationship, and then I had to fast and pray for three weeks for him to come back and fellowship with me. Well, what that really exposed was that I had a law mentality, a works-based mentality. And I was thinking that God loved me according to my performance. Mm -hmm. And so that's just kind of in a nutshell. The basis of that message is, you know, really contrasting what a law mentality will produce in your life and what a grace mentality will produce in your life. Absolutely. And I think, William, I know I've struggled with that, and there's been so many believers out there that have struggled with that as well. You know, and it comes out of what I call listening to a laced gospel, which is no gospel at all. And the Apostle Paul really talks about it in the book of Galatians. He says, you who've come to faith in Christ, are you now trying to go back under the law? And the Apostle Paul actually calls it 
the weak and beggarly things. And so it's not where the promises are. It's not where really the heart of God is. The heart of God is, you know, I want to bless you. I want to be good to you. Even in your failures and your missteps, I want to be good to you. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between the righteousness mentality that comes from faith in Jesus versus the righteousness mentality that comes from the law. I know you've mentioned kind of the works and feeling separated from God, and that's one of the pieces of it. Can you share a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. When you have a righteousness that is according to the law, it's really going to produce two different mindsets. The first mindset that it will produce in your life will be a condemnation because you're basing your relationship with God on your performance. The issue is we will never be able to perform well enough in the flesh to gain access to the Lord. And the way that I like to explain it is that salvation is such a priceless gift that if I offer anything for it, it simply cheapens its value because it's priceless. In other words, the only way that we could have gained or received salvation is as if God gave it to us as a gift. Right. And so one of the tactics of the enemy is to get us to buy into this idea that we have to perform to gain access to the Lord, to be in his presence. But the scriptures say we come before the throne of his grace, not before the throne of his law. So the first mindset that would take place will be condemnation. Matter of fact, I'll just read a passage of scripture to you just real quickly. Romans chapter 3 verse 20 says this, therefore about the deeds of the law, no flesh, no flesh will be justified in his sight for by the law is the knowledge of sin. And so you see right here under a law mentality, it produces in you a sin consciousness. Mm-hmm. which now puts you in a place of condemnation and judgment because you have this sin consciousness. You're always aware of the fact that you fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23, for we all have sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. And so that first mindset is this sin conscious mindset that produces judgment, condemnation in the heart. The second mindset that a low righteousness will produce is what I would call a self-righteousness instead of a Christ-righteousness. A self-righteousness is focused on what you do, where you begin to boast in your own performance, where you begin to think that God relates to you based on your works. The issue is, to be self-righteous, you have to categorize sin into two categories, acceptable sin and non-acceptable sin. Well, that's an issue of that. There is no such thing as an acceptable sin in the eyes of God. And you may be wondering, like, what do you mean by that? Well, First John chapter 1, verse 8 says that if anybody confesses that they are without sin, they're a liar and the truth isn't even in them. You know, so self-righteous people will look at only the outward acts of sin, but not the excess inward meditation of the heart. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 5, you even look at a woman to lust for her, you've already committed adultery in your heart. So he looked at the meditation of the heart the same as the action or the deed itself. And so you have these self-righteous people that will point their fingers at somebody else for the sin that they're living in, while the entire time they have a vain imagination in which they are engaging in the same activities in the heart. 
Mm-hmm. That's so good. I love that when Jesus came, he exalted the law to the heights. And what I mean by that is just exactly what you said. He said, if you even look at a woman and lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. Because they were so obsessed with looking at outward forms of sin and sin nature. And Jesus brought the law up to its most holy standard so that each and every one of us would see that it's not something we can keep. I think believers get really confused when it comes to the law because they've been taught that the law is for our justification, but the Bible makes it very clear, just as you mentioned, that no flesh will be justified by the law. And so when we talk about the new covenant, it's Jesus only, it's grace only. And so let's help our listeners differentiate between the two. Grace says, you can't, but I can, and I will, and I have. Law says, you must, you must, you must, and it has no room for mercy. And so I think we see that played out in the hearts of people who are sin conscious and pointing fingers, just as you said, because they are demanding holiness from those around them, but aren't even doing the same things themselves. That's why Jesus, he often said to the Pharisees, you hypocrites, you clean the outside of the cup, but the inside is filthy. Well, that's exactly right. So the only way, again, to have that self-righteous mentality is to categorize sin, is to put it into acceptable and non-acceptable. And I even tell people this way, it's like, you know, we point fingers at someone that may be living in a certain type of lifestyle, but then we'll go to a buffet and just gorge our flesh and become a glutton, but we don't think anything about that, you know? So our righteousness of the flesh did not grant us access to the Lord. It only comes as a gift in and of itself. Even in Romans chapter four, when Paul begins to use Abraham and David as an example of justification on the basis of faith, the first four verses in Romans four right here, I'm a matter of fact, I'll just read it. This is what then shall we say that Abraham and father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. And so he says, so Paul is saying right here, if Abraham gained anything by the works of his flesh or the works of the law, he has something to boast about, but not before God, only before man, only before people. Because then he could point out, oh, look, I'm living this way more than you are. But he says before God, he has nothing to boast about. But then he goes on to say this in Romans 4. But what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And verse four says this, now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace or a gift, but as a debt. And he's basically saying this, if Abraham gained anything by his works, then what he received from God would be a payment for his service and not a gift of God's grace. Mm-hmm. And so it would almost be like God would be indebted to Abraham instead of Abraham being indebted to God. Mm, which is just not the case. God is not indebted to no man. Let's be abundantly <laughs> clear. <laughs> But you know what? I see this mindset everywhere that I travel because, for instance, someone will come up to me at a prayer line and they'll say something like this. 
Well, I know the Lord's going to bless me because I've been praying and I've been fasting for 40 days. I know God's going to bless me because I've been a pastor for 20 years. I know God's going to bless me because I've been leading this small group. I know God's going to bless me because of I. No, God is going to move in your life because of who he is, not because of who you are. Amen. That's when he moves in our life. And, you know, Galatians chapter five, verse four says, if we are trying to be justified on the basis of works, we have fallen from grace. That's not talking about we lose our salvation. It just said we've fallen from what grace can provide and produce in our life because we're trying to access it on the basis of works instead of faith. Mm -hmm. That's so good. And, you know, you've mentioned it. The law is impossible to keep. Impossible. Even as Jesus exalted it to its original standards. And the Bible actually says that of those who are under the works of the law, they are under its curse. So if you are trying to work to keep the law, it's not even that you've broken it, but that you're working to keep it. You're under its curse. And And there's also... 613 commandments that you got to keep that people don't think about. Yes. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Because by the time Jesus came, I think they were up to like 530 some or something like that commandments that the religious leaders had created out of the law. It wasn't just the original 10 from Sinai. So (laughs) I mean, who can do that? Well, I know. I mean, and even in James 2.10, it says if you miss one aspect of the law, you're guilty of it all. You couldn't keep 99.9% of them and be good, be okay. No, you had, if you missed one aspect of it. Absolutely. All 613 commandments. And that's what people don't understand. And they think, well, I'm I'm keeping 99.9% of them. I should be good. Well, nope. On the basis of who you are instead of the basis of who he is, then you got to live as perfect as Jesus lived. Yeah, so good. I mean, the entire purpose of the law, the Bible makes abundantly clear, is so that we would see our need for the Savior. And, you know, the Bible also says wherever the law is preached, it stirs the sin nature. So the more that you try to keep the law, the more you listen to the law, the more that sin nature is stirred and the more you'll actually sin versus actually if you keep your eyes on Christ and receive from God that which you cannot do, which requires great humility. I think that's one of the biggest issues in seeing these things is that the gospel of grace requires great humility because it has absolutely nothing to do with us and we are completely and wholly dependent upon the goodness of God. Versus the goodness of ourselves. Well, that's exactly right. You know, the first podcast that, that we did, the first interview that we had, I shared an aspect of my story, like my journey to the Lord. You know, I was a self-professed atheist for 20 years of my life. And I was also an alcoholic. I was a drug addict. I, when I overdosed on drugs and found myself in ICU, when and Jesus appeared to me, that's how I got saved. But the whole context of Jesus appearing to me is the fact I was an atheist. That means I wasn't praying. I wasn't seeking him. I wasn't fasting. <laughs> I wasn't yep. going to church, reading the Bible. I wasn't doing anything for him to come save me, but by his grace. That's Amen. what people need to understand. He appeared to me and then out of his grace produced in me 
the faith that I needed to respond to his gift of salvation. Because what we need to understand is not only is salvation a gift of his grace, but also the faith that is needed to receive it is also a gift of his grace. Mm-hmm. So good. I like to say it this way. We start with grace and we end with grace. From the beginning to the end, it's all grace. Because none of us, William, none of us deserves to be saved. None of us deserves to be blessed. None of us, you know, the Bible makes it abundantly clear that those who reject Jesus, those who reject the Messiah, will one day stand before God and give an account of their lives. And the Bible says that all their righteousness are like filthy rags. In the light of his glorious goodness, they will be exposed for what they are. Our only hope is to receive by faith the gift of his righteousness so that we can stand and say, I am not righteous on my own account. I am righteous on the account of Christ. And in that day, it's the only righteousness that will count. That's exactly right. You know, and it's an, an imputed righteousness that we have received. And because of what Jesus has done for us, we're able to stand before God the Father as Jesus stands before him. And so when God looks at us, it's like he's lucky at the righteousness of Jesus. And that there is mind-blowing when we fully understand that that there is nothing that I can ever do to change his mind about me, that he thinks I am to die for. And he paid the ultimate price on the cross to be in divine fellowship with me. And so why would he turn right around, put judgment, condemnation, or sickness, or whatever else, only when he died to set me free from all those things? Get ready to take your faith to the next level. As you sit at Jesus' feet, your faith will grow as you hear his word, commune with him in prayer, and feast upon his faithfulness. In this beautiful journal, you can record your time with God. It includes 52 weekday entries, which can be used as a week or a day, depending on your preference. Record the scripture you're reading, your response to it in prayer, and a journal page plus an answered prayer section to record Jesus' faithfulness. Grab your colored pencils and Bible and be sure to get creative with the images. This journal will be a powerful memorial of your relationship with a living and loving Savior. Be sure to pick up a copy of At the Feet of Jesus Worship and Prayer Journal today. Links in the show notes or you can find a copy at Amazon or ChristinaPereira.org slash store. That's right. That's right, because, you know, the father is not working against the son. Sometimes people have this idea that God puts sickness on people, and the truth is, is that Jesus took it. Why would God put something on you that Jesus so brutally paid for to take from you? And so it's just so interesting that these, you know, the Apostle Paul warns about these Judaizers, these false teachers, these wolves in sheep's clothing who've come in to tear apart the body of Christ. He warns them in the book of Galatians and many other books, just in tears of travail for his spiritual children. And these are the things that have robbed the children of God from the grace, the health, the favor, the goodness, all that God has for them. And I believe in this hour, God is raising up evangelists and 
ministers and authors and worshipers who are going to exalt Jesus and his covenant only, the Bible makes it abundantly clear that Moses, a servant of God, does not abide in the house forever, but the Son, the Son of God, who came and brought the new covenant of grace, abides in the house forever. Forever we will worship because of grace. Isn't it amazing? Oh, it is absolutely amazing. You know, I'm just going to read another passage of scripture. I love the Bible. Me you too. Know. I've got mine open. I'm letting you read. I'm just quoting. Out <laughs> of here, I got you. Romans eleven six. This really, you know, gives a beautiful description of the covenant in which we live in, and the fact that we cannot mix law and grace together, even though human nature would want to do that. Verse 6 in Romans 11 says, If it be by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it be of work, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. And what Paul is basically saying is, look, it's either going to be one or the other, but it cannot or would never be a combination of the two. And that right, that understanding right there is so difficult for people to grasp because they think, well, you know, it can't be that good. Well, that's what the whole purpose of the gospel is that it's so good that it's nearly too good to be true news. It's that good. People wonder, man, is this real? Yeah. And I like to say it is that the gospel is so true. It takes the power of the spirit to convince you of its validity. It so does. It so does. I remember when the Lord was first showing me these things and I had that exact response was, this is too good to be true. Am I really that forgiven? Am I really that clean? Am I really that righteous? Am I really that holy because of you, Jesus? And yes, it is so true. You know, and I love the way Jesus illustrated this to his disciples in the parable about the new wine and the old wineskins. You can't put new wine, which is the new covenant of grace, into old wineskins, which is the mentality of religious-based law-keeping. What Jesus says will happen is the wineskins will burst and you will lose the new wine and both will be ruined. That's exactly why you cannot mix law and grace. It's Jesus only. If you want to live under the law and you want that, that's fine. You are allowed to have that. But just so you're very clear, we've made it abundantly clear on what the Bible says and what you will receive under it versus what you will receive under grace because God gives each and every one of us a choice. Yeah. Well, absolutely. If people want to live under that Deuteronomy 28 curse, if they want to, they can. (laughs) But Galatians 3 is very clear. Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law. And those are not a new covenant experience for a believer that understands that their justification is on the basis of grace through faith. But if you so choose to still want to approach God on the basis of the law, then you're putting yourself, not God, you're putting yourself back under a curse. And the enemy is going to take that He's going to wreak havoc in your life because you are choosing out of your own will to put yourself back over something Jesus delivered you from. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, what's insulting to Jesus 
yeah. is settling for a life that's inferior to the one that he died to give me. Mm-hmm. Yes, very much so. And I, I honestly, you know, and this is why I am so passionate about exalting Jesus only. If you look at my ministry, you look at everything I write, it's Jesus only because it is an insult to the blood of Jesus to go back under the law. It is an insult to the blood of Jesus to mix law and grace. And I got to be honest with you. I mean, this should put the fear of God in people because it puts the fear of God in me. I do not want to stand before the Son of God and say it was not enough. You know, that is, you know, wow. You know, you mentioned Galatians earlier, and Paul just really, he just goes after them in the book of Galatians. It's one of my <laughs> books, you know, starting here in verse 6, he says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. And he calls this mixture of law and grace a different gospel, which is not another. But yeah. there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. And so Paul calls it a perversion of the gospel, which means wrong version. That's yeah. what a perversion means. But listen to this. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach another gospel to you, that we have preached to him, let him be cursed. That's not mm-hmm. something we would have saying. That's what Paul is saying. He says, let that person be cursed if they try to pervert this gospel of grace in which Jesus has inaugurated and established for us as a new covenant experience. In verse 9, he goes on to say this, as we have said before, so now I'll say it again, just in case we didn't quite understand what he meant the first time he said it. He repeats it. If any man preaches another go- any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be cursed. And so when I think, as Christina, what's interesting about this, when you get here in Galatians 2, Paul goes to Jerusalem to present this message of grace to the other apostles, and he has Titus with him, which is a Gentile convert. And in verse 3 right here in Galatians 2, this is funny to me, but this is just what he was dealing with. Verse 3 says this, Yet not even Titus, who was with me being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And so that's the whole argument that's coming up right here, is that your faith in Christ alone isn't enough. You also have to be circumcised. But Paul is showing that Titus here, he wasn't circumcised, but he was manifesting the fruit of the grace of God in his life. But verse 4 is what's interesting to me. And it's very funny, and it says this, and this occurred because of false brethren. So this is when Paul goes before them. He's talking to the other apostles, and he says, and there's false brethren. Let's pay attention to that, verse 4. Secretly brought in, who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. Well, the whole context of this He's talking about circumcision. So these false brethren came in to spy out if they were circumcised or not. That's why he calls them a pervert, because in the name of the law, they're doing something unholy. They're standing there like a peeping Tom trying to see, was Titus circumcised? <laughs> and, oh, my and goodness. me away that the extent that a law mentality will produce in people is that they will become so rigid and so 
short-sighted and blinded that they begin to do unholy things in the name of holiness. Mm-hmm. Hard, hard hearts. That's exactly what it produces. And, you know, I love the book of Galatians. That's my message. Paul goes on to say he was so frustrated with those false brothers, the Judaizers. If they want to go, he said, I wish they would go ahead and just castrate themselves because <laughs> circumcision is no longer a sign of faith. It's faith in Jesus Christ. We've actually received a circumcision of the heart, Amen. which is so beautiful, right? Because it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live unto the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Isn't that beautiful? See, that's what it produces. And the Spirit of God, we only receive the Spirit of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. You know, one of the things, uh, the arguments that people always come up, and, that, and this is an argument that's always going to come up, well, are you just saying then that it doesn't really matter what you do in the flesh, that you just live your life in any old way? Well, no, it's not, not what we're saying at all. You know, I still live a very holy life, but my holy living mm-hmm. is not to gain access to God. That came as a gift from him. But what holy living does do is deny access to the devil because we become slaves unto the one in whom we obey. So if I live in sin, I'm coming under the author of that sin, Satan, and I'm allowing him to wreak havoc in my life. So I live holy still, but for different reasons. It's not to gain access to God. I already have free access to God. It is to deny access to the enemy in my life is to limit the influence that he could bring about my life through sin. So holy living or righteous living is that I'm no longer uh, living to prove something to God or to gain something from God, but the fact that I have already received it by his grace and mercy, therefore I live out holiness in my life. That makes sense? Absolutely. You know, it's so interesting to me because I think for those of us who really understand this concept and we've received that heart circumcision, Paul says it this way, like, I'm no longer interested in those things because we've received that heart circumcision. It's not a matter of being under the law. It's that's not who I am anymore. And I'm a new creation in Christ. I've moved from being a sinner to a saint. That's no longer my nature, you know? And I think that's a shift in our mentality that we need to make across the body of Christ is not only seeing ourselves as new creations and saints for believers, but to shift from that simply a sinner saved by grace to becoming a saint. And when we become that saint, when we become those things in our own eyes, because we're already those things in God's eyes, our repentance is simply agreeing with what God says. and. I think it's going to fundamentally make a shift in that sin mentality mindset versus that righteousness mentality mindset. You know, I'm not looking for sin under a rock everywhere I go. I'm not examining other people. I'm not examining myself. I'm examining that perfect lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. And he is glorious. He's without spot or wrinkle. And he's done a perfect work. I have this opinion that God is pleased with what he has done. 
And the, the Bible makes it abundantly clear. And it's not just my opinion. It says, for if God had not been satisfied with the work that Jesus had done, he would not have been raised from the dead without our sin. And so the fact that Jesus is alive and well and raised from the dead and no longer in our sin means that we, those who believe, are no longer in our sin. Hallelujah. Thanks be to God. We're in the spirit. And that word in means a fixed position, immovable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that means we're, we're firmly established in the spirit, which is our union with Christ. First Corinthians 6 verse 17 says, the one that has joined himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. That word one means singular to the exclusion of another. We're in total and complete divine union right now in our spirit with God's spirit. That is where the new creation is. That's where our righteousness is. That's where our authority is. Our identity is the fact that we're in Christ, in the spirit, and we have full access to everything that he is at all times. Hebrews 13, 5 says he'll never leave us nor to forsake us. Why? Because he lives in us and we live in him. And there's nothing that we could ever do that would change that reality. We're in him, immovable, fixed position. Mm, Amen. That's right. And, you know, I want to be really clear. We are all on this upward stumbling journey of being transformed into the image of God. But we don't get there by beholding ourselves. We get there by beholding Christ. And so when we do mess up, because we are human still, living out this side of heaven and this new creation life, when we do mess up, it's not, oh God, please forgive me. It's, oh God, thank you that you have forgiven me. And I am still the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Well, that's exactly right. You know, I think a a concept that would help believers grasp what we're really referring to and speaking of here is understanding uh, what 1 Thessalonians 5.23 articulates is that we are a three-part being. We're a spirit, we're a soul, and we're a body. For example, when we got saved, you know, the next day, our physical flesh, our physical body did not become a new creation. And we had the same body that we had prior to salvation, after salvation. Our soul, our mind, will, and emotions did not become a new creation right after salvation, but our spirit did. That's why John chapter 3, verse 6 says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. But when you renew your mind according to the truth of who you are in Christ in the spirit, what happens is that now you access the power of the spirit, the reality of that spirit that begins to produce itself through the soul, into the body for your life. In other words, the soul is the part of your being that connects the spiritual to the natural. But if I'm preoccupied with my who I am in the flesh and not who I am in the spirit, then I am limiting what I can manifest through my life. I'm limiting on an experiential level the reality of these truths that we are discussing. But when I live from the spirit, all of a sudden now, I begin to experience on a daily basis the reality of that. You know, and like you mentioned, we're going to be living in this physical form until we die and we receive our new bodies. Romans 8, 23 says we're, we're still waiting for the redemption of our bodies, mm-hmm. but we will receive a new spiritual body. But 
right now we have the same resurrection power of Christ dwelling inside of us to give life to the mortal bodies now. Amen. Amen. So it's, it's something that you have to wait until you die to experience. It is something that you can also experience right now, but it's to the degree that I renew my mind to the word of God, hence the reality of what he has already accomplished on my behalf. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. That's one of my favorite verses to speak out. And if I'm encountering anything in my body or anything like that, the same spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead now dwells and gives life to your mortal body. And that's so amazing as we live out this beautiful new creation life. Well, I wish that we could just keep going on and on and on forever because this has so encouraged my heart. I hope it's encouraged yours. Is there anything burning on your heart you'd like to say directly to our listeners? Family, this is the one thing that I want to leave you, that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. Jesus mm -hmm. thinks you are to die for. He is not going to change his mind in regards to you. He took all of your sin, past, present, and future. He took it into himself, dealt with it on the cross, and has delivered you from the dominion of it. Family, embrace the grace of God. Embrace the righteousness that he has freely given to you as a gift, apart from your work, apart from your performance, apart from anything that you could offer of yourself. It is a gift of his mercy and his goodness that he loves you. And so I just want you to embrace that full revelation right now and let it come as a revelation to your heart that you are accepted before God and that you stand before the Father as Jesus stands before the Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. Will you pray for our listeners right now that they can receive that by faith? Absolutely, Lord. I just ask that right now, by the power of your spirit, that you would manifest this message, these truths in their heart in such a way that it will bring this unity, spirit, soul, and body into a reality of their life, that even patterns of thought or ways of thinking or false beliefs will be broken off from hearing these truths and hearing this message. Lord, I ask that by your grace and by the power of your spirit, you would manifest the awareness of your presence inside every born-again believer that's listening right now. You have Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, dwelling inside of you right now with all of his fullness, and you have access to that. So Lord, I bless every person from the top of their head to the bottom of their feet. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, William. That was so good. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Absolutely. It was an honor. I absolutely enjoy the subject matter that we're discussing, and not many people would or is willing to have this kind of discussion with me, so thank you. Absolutely. You are welcome anytime, anytime, my brother, anytime. Well, I hope and I pray today's episode has blessed you. I will have links from today's podcast and resources in the show notes under Revealing Jesus with Christina Pereira, wherever you get your podcasts. There you'll find additional resources to connect with us and our special guest, William Wood. Until next week, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of Jesus. God bless. 
Thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode of Revealing Jesus with Christina Pereira. I hope today's episode has blessed you. Please subscribe, share it with your friends, and don't forget to sign up for our ministry mailing list for more encouraging content about our beautiful Savior, Jesus. Just text JESUS to 1-833-815-7778. That's 1-833-815-7778. 7778. And of course, it's your turn now to join the conversation. Send me your burning questions, leaders you would like to hear from in the body of Christ, your testimonies, and more. Just click join the conversation in the show notes. And for more information about our ministry, visit us at ChristinaPereira.org. Until next week, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of Jesus. God bless.